from Luke 24, beginning in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. You can be seated. Thank you, Hart. Um, for those of you that are visiting, my name is Randy Williams, and I'm one of the elders here at Midlands. Um, Justin is our main teaching pastor, um, but from time to time I'll be uh, preaching as well. And as Hart just read, we're in Luke. So last week we finished up our series on Ephesians. And next week we're going to start, as Justin mentioned, our new series going through the book of Acts. So I thought it might be good for us to kind of see, all right, what, what happens like right before Acts starts? Because Acts is the beginning of the church. So what happens? So what we're going to do today is take a look at these verses in Luke and uh, think, about, think of it like this. So um, we'll be studying Acts. So this is kind of like the prequel. This is, this is what happens right before. So if you want to relate it for you uh, Tolkien nerds out there. So Acts is Lord of the Rings. This, son, this sermon is The Hobbit. Okay. Um, and because we have a family meeting, I'm going to try to keep it short like a hobbit. Um, but no promises. But we will see what happens. So what happens? What happens leading up to the events that Hart just read to us? So these events occur on Sunday evening, the day that the Lord rose from the grave. So Thursday evening, Friday, just before that, Jesus was falsely accused. He was tried. He was convicted. He was put on a cross and he was crucified. John, who is here in the room during this passage. Mary, others, they saw that crucifixion in person. They saw Jesus die, and he was buried before sunset on that Friday, before the beginning of the Sabbath. So early Sunday morning, as soon as they could, before daybreak, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and some other women go down to the tomb, and they find it empty. And in John chapter 20, we see that Jesus himself appears to Mary Magdalene and he talks with her. And when they hear of this, Peter 
and John rush down to the tomb because they, this is unbelievable, and they want to see for themselves. They rush down there. So you can imagine all day long, all this Sunday, there are rumors and stories flying all over the place. Jesus is alive? What, what in the world are you talking about? Everybody knows. And right before this, Jesus himself actually appeared to Cleopas and another guy that we don't know his name. They were walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus concealed his identity. He wouldn't reveal himself to them. And they're talking about all this stuff, and he's like, what are you, what are you talking about? And they're like, uh, where you been? Like, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened? And so they start telling him this, and then he, he explains the scripture and how it relates to him. And he breaks bread with them. They invite him in for a meal. He breaks bread, and all of a sudden, he is revealed, and they know who he is. And then he vanishes. So what do they do? It's about seven miles. Cleopas and his buddy, they run back to Jerusalem, and they find the disciples, and that's where we start today's story. So they're there. They're in this locked room upstairs, and they're all just kind of talking over each other and think about it like, I don't know, Thanksgiving dinner. Like, everybody's just talking. And you can't really follow one conversation over another, and it's just talking, talking, talking. And all of a sudden, in the midst of this excitement and confusion and just hope that these things are true, we see in verse 36 that Jesus shows up. And he says... In verse 36, it says, and they were talk, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Okay, for a second, uh, let's, let's pretend that we haven't read this scripture many times before and we know this story. Let's, let's try to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes for a second. If there was somebody that I saw crucified, and put in a tomb, and all of a sudden he shows up in a locked room and says, peace to you. Randy, I don't know about y'all, Randy is going to be a little startled, <laughs> maybe a little frightened, and super confused, um, but also just overwhelmed with joy. Like, what am I seeing? What am I seeing? Um, just a, an example, not long after my father passed away, we took our girls to a Thomas the Tank Engine event, which is, Thomas is a big deal. Uh, at least it was 20 years ago. Um, but there was a guy there that had a strong resemblance to my dad. It wasn't my dad. I knew it wasn't my dad, but he reminded me of my dad. And it just, it was, it was neat to see him because I, I miss my father. That does not compare to this, where these guys have lost Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, and all of a sudden, boom, there he is. So they want to believe the events of the day, but they seem so unbelievable. Why didn't they believe? Let, let's let's uh, think about that for a second, because these men, at least 11 of them, were actually there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. They were there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. That's in all three of the synoptic gospels. They were there in Luke chapter 7 when Jesus raised a widow's son from the dead in Nain. So 
seeing someone raised from the dead today would be unprecedented for Randy. But these men had seen it. They had seen Jesus do it. So I'm not being critical of them because I think I'd be just like them. But this shouldn't be totally like Jesus has been telling them what's about to happen and what was going to happen and that he wasn't going to stay in the tomb. But yet here is actually happening. So they're trying to figure it out. So verse 38, it says, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And verse 41 starts off. Let me just read the first part of it. And while they still disbelieved for joy. So let's stop right there for a second before we finish that verse. They weren't disbelieving out of fear. It was out of joy. This literally should be where the saying it's too good to be true came from. Because they're like looking at Jesus and they're like, they could not believe the happiness that would be theirs if Jesus truly was alive. Because they had believed that Jesus was this promised Messiah that Scripture had promised. But then they saw him crucified. And now he's standing right in front of them. Alive. So was he the Messiah after all? And finishing up verse 41, it says, after they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. So Jesus is giving clear evidence that he is flesh and bone. So I'm not a paranormal expert, um, but I've seen Casper, the movie, and I know that ghosts can't eat food. Okay? So... Jesus said, hey, well, he didn't say it this way. This is a Randy paraphrase, but it was like, hey, man, I'm hungry. I hadn't eaten since Thursday, (laughs) since the supper that we had together. What you got? Uh, But not to make light of it, but Jesus is alive. He's a flesh and blood, alive human. God in the flesh. And he's like, what you got to eat? And they gave him some fish and he ate it right in front of them. And then he said to him, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This wasn't an accident. All these things that have happened had to come to pass. Jesus being falsely accused, the only sinless person in history was falsely accused, convicted, crucified to pay the price for our sin. What the sovereign God had declared about the Messiah in Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms had to be fulfilled. And Jesus had been telling his disciples for three years that these things would occur. Then in verse 45, it's such an awesome verse in what it says. This is, this is a critical verse in all of Scripture. For the beginning of the church, what we are going to be studying starting next week in Acts. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture. 
and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ must suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand how his sacrifice paid the debt not only for their sin, but for ours. Y'all, we don't have the ability to understand on our own. Um, most of y'all know I'm an engineer. I work with a lot of engineers. Engineers want to be able to understand. They like equations that have one answer. Faith doesn't work that way. And also faith, God has to give us that understanding. His grace has to come to us. And he is the one that shows us the way. Let me read what Paul wrote. And this is in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But it relates to what Jesus just said. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That passage in Romans explains God's grace to us. Um, those of you that were here this summer, you remember I did, uh, I did three sermons that were three separate parables. And if you remember, um, when I was doing those, I gave a definition of what a parable is. And a parable is just a simple earthly story that's used to teach a spiritual truth. And so I was trying to come up with a, an illustration that would kind of help us understand God's grace. And it, there's not one <laughs> that's sufficient to explain God's grace. But I want to give it a shot and give you a modern day parable um, of an earthly example of forgiveness and grace that gives us just a tiny fraction of a glimpse of that unbelieving grace that God has for us. So, um, so here's a modern day parable brought to you by Randy. So uh, my good friend Wilson Elgin is actually here today. Uh, I don't have any brothers, um, but uh, uh, we've been friends for a long time. And I consider him a brother uh, in Christ. Um, I hope that he, uh, he has two brothers, so he probably doesn't feel the same way about me. But um, I, I would consider him, and I hope he would consider me, a Proverbs 18.24 type of friend. So uh, if you don't know what that verse is, I would encourage you to look it up. Um, we've literally been around the world together. We've been on mission trips to multiple continents. Um, and uh, this particular story took place in Cambodia. So I don't know um, how familiar you are with Cambodian history, but let me give you a glimpse of four years of Cambodian history because it's relevant to the story. Cambodia, right after the Vietnam War ended, 
um, the Khmer Rouge, which was a communist political party, took over the country. And what they did, they ruled the country from 1975 to 1979, and they were led by a man named Pol Pot. They wanted a gregarian society. They took everybody out of the cities. They put them in work camps to work rice fields. So they're moving toward agriculture. Also, just a conservative estimate is they murdered somewhere between one and a half and two million people. Roughly a third, a little over a third of the country's population. You were, you were murdered, tortured and murdered if you wore glasses because it was assumed you could read or why else would you have glasses? So this is what, is what was going on in the 70s. America had just gotten out of the Vietnam War and didn't want to do anything in Southeast Asia at the time. So we kind of washed our hands of the situation. While we were there, um, if you're there in Phnom Penh in the capital, you can go to a former high school called Tool Slay. It was turned into a prison. Um, somewhere between 15,000 and 30,000 people were tortured and killed, and it's now a museum, a genocide museum, so that we won't forget. Of those 15 to 30,000 people that went through that prison, only seven people made it out alive. But they made it out and told the story of what it was like. Um, there was a movie called The Killing Fields back in the 80s that tells this story. Um, so anyway, I'm telling you all this, and I can tell just by the silence in the room that Randy has brought us all down. Um, but I'm telling you this for a reason. That's how horrible this was. Uh, people were turning against friends because they didn't want to be killed by the Khmer Rouge. And it was just a horrible, horrible time. Um, worse even than our country today, where we are just fighting about everything and you know, accusing people that don't believe or act like we want them to of just horrible things. It was like that to the point of torture and murder. And we visited the killing fields while we were there. So why am I telling that, that part? So while Wilson and I are in Cambodia, we stayed in the village with a, with a friend of ours, a missionary there, that, um, that uh, was about 20 miles outside of Phnom Penh, which is the capital. And there was, on the side of this dirt road in this little village, was this little coffee shop. And when I say coffee shop, don't think American coffee shop. Think Cambodian village coffee shop. It was literally a, a, a stand that, this, that had been made with like an awning umbrella type thing. And then it was little plastic tables and chairs kind of sitting out between that stand and the road. And so we would go every morning and we'd get a hot one and a cold one. So a hot one was this little shot of super strong, dark, delicious Laotian coffee, coffee grown in Laos. It was so good, I'm telling you, some of the best I've ever had. But it was just a little shot. And then we get a cool one, and a cool one was in a taller glass, crushed ice, the same coffee with, I remember um, it, was, it was Alaska uh, sweetened condensed milk was the brand, um, but it was like Eagle condensed milk that you get here. So it was mixed up, so it was iced coffee. So I had my first iced coffee long time before I had anything in Starbucks, um, and I had it in a little bitty coffee shop um, in this little village. And so 
We called it um, the Rocky Horror Coffee Shop. Um, that has, that's irrelevant to this story, but if you want to know why, talk to me after the service. So we're there, and our friend Mickey, he told us about it, and so we went there. It might not have been every day, but we went there a pretty, pretty good bit. And, um, and he told us this story, and it's a story that has stuck with me since then. And it will stick with me as long as my brain can remember things for the rest of my life. Because it's an amazing story of grace and forgiveness. So sitting around one of those tables um, was a group of about eight, eight or ten men. They looked like they were in their 50s or 60s. Um, so this, is, this actually happened 19 years ago. So they looked like really old guys to me at the time. Um, but they were 50s and 60s, which meant... The Khmer Rouge was in power. It ended 23 years before the events of this story, I'm telling you. So not it's fresh in these guys' minds. They would have been in their 30s when the Khmer Rouge was in power. So they would have been late 20s, early 30s, the, the age of a, of a lot of our church. Raising families, you know, parents still around, helping their parents, grandparents probably still around. And so he says, Peyton, look at those guys. And I'm looking over at them, and I'm like, they, they're having a good time. They're laughing. They're, I don't know what they're saying, but they're, they're talking. They're telling stories. They're, just, they're you know, just like us hanging out and laughing and smiling, and you can tell that they're friends. And then he told us what was going on. He's like, look, those guys have lived in this village their entire life, all of them. Some of them had family members that were killed by the Khmer Rouge. Some of them were in the Khmer Rouge. And either directly or indirectly were the cause of the guys they're sitting with, families, torture, and murder. He says everybody knows who was in the Khmer Rouge. Everybody knows who lost family members. And I'm sitting there looking at them, and yet here these guys are sitting around a table, drinking coffee, fellowshipping, laughing, smiling with other men who had impacted their life and taken their family away from them because they were probably afraid of the Khmer Rouge themselves, and so they were turning other people in. And I looked at that. They met there every day. They met there every day. That's how they started their day off. But yet there was this forgiveness there. And I thought about that, and it just struck me as just this amazing earthly example of what grace and forgiveness are supposed to look like. Today, man, we, we refuse to forgive each other over little things, little disagreements. I don't like the way you're doing that. I don't like what you said. I totally disagree with that. I would never do that. Uh, you should do this. And when you look at it, and I, and I look at the story of these men, there are times when I have not wanted to forgive somebody, but I've never had somebody take my family from me. So that's a modern day parable that kind of can give us just a glimpse of the grace and mercy that God has offered us through the redemptive work of Jesus. If these men forget, could forgive their friends, how much more amazing is the fact that God loves us 
and forgives us for putting Jesus on a cross. So after spending three years with Jesus, the disciples now, because he's opened their minds to the scripture, they understand his grace. They understand his mercy. They understand the scripture. And then he gives them this charge to be witnesses for him to the ends of the earth. That's the name of our new study that starts next week. Um, and then in verse 48 there, it says, You are witnesses of, thing, of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from O high. So the disciples, had they held a unique role as witnesses. They were witnesses to Jesus' ministry, to his death, and to his resurrection. And they bore a special responsibility to communicate what they saw and now understood to people everywhere. As Christians, we have the same responsibility. If you're a Christian, you have a unique relationship with Jesus, and no one can bear witness to that relationship better than you. If we don't tell our story, if we don't share our story, if we don't bear witness to our personal relationship with Jesus and what he has done in our life, nobody else will, and it'll go untold. So our calling as Christians, just like the disciples' calling at the beginning of the church age, is to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he paid the price for our sin so that we don't have to stay eternally separated from a loving God. Now, about 40 days um, go by between verse 49 and verse 50. In verse 50, it says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And we know from Matthew chapter 28 um, that Jesus said this to them while he was there. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Luke closes out his gospel account with these words. After hearing this, after Jesus coming back, after them believing, after him opening their minds so that they understand now it's the joyous time. They said, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This joy now is real because the disciples understood what Jesus had been telling them and they understood it was better for Jesus to leave and for him to send the Holy Spirit, he would ascend to the throne. Let me close with these verses. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, John writes, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, 
be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this beautiful story where, where Jesus, just in his love for his disciples, all of which turned their back on him, he still loves them. And he now has returned to them and opened their minds so they can understand. Father, I pray that we will just listen to you as well. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Father, be obedient. Listen to the calling that you've given us to be witnesses for you to this lost world because the church is how you chose to share the gospel with the world. We're to fellowship together. We're to worship together. Father, but we're also to share the gospel with the lost world around us, Father. So I pray that that as we study through Acts in the weeks and months to come, Father, that it will be a time where we are just uh, reminded that, that the early church was a wonderful time, a time of fellowship, a time of joy, but it was also a very difficult time, a time of persecution, a time of um, just struggle. Um, Father, I just pray that we will uh, realize that as uh, Jesus' uh, return approaches, Father, we know that our world has become more and more um, focused on, on the evil one and focused on uh, our individual selves, and we aren't looking to Jesus. So, Father, as believers, as Christians, it is our call, it is our responsibility to share the love and the grace and the forgiveness that you have shown us with a lost world. Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.